0: Romans 1, I'm going to read starting in verse 16 through 18 right now to kind of get started this morning. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. You know, that's, to me, that's, that's the centerpiece of Romans right there. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, Paul says. And he, of anybody that, in my mind, I preached on this a while back, but Paul stands out to me as someone, yeah, he's not ashamed of the gospel. It was his life, everything, he lived and breathed it. Why? Because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The righteousness of God is being revealed. It's this righteousness of the gospel that we can become right with God. That we can have our sins forgiven. What a wonderful revelation, and it's continuing to go on. That's, that word there, it's ongoing, it's continuous. But then he pops into verse 18, and he says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. It's like in verse 18, we walk through this door, in a sense, into the courtroom of God. And God, and Paul says, The wrath of God is being revealed. It's the same type of word. It's this ongoing, present, continuous revelation. In order to understand how to become right with God, we have to understand that we're not right with God on our own. We're wrong with God, in a sense. So we need to come to terms with sin. We need to come to terms with the holiness of God and the wickedness that is in our hearts. Paul says it's so important that we do that. For the good news to be the good news, we have to come to terms with the truth of the bad news, of the wrath. What is God's wrath? That's a big word. It's a hard word um, as we look at Scripture and as we think about it. For me, the definition of wrath is simply the response of God's holiness, the response of God's justice to our sin and our rebellion. It's, it's who God is coming in contact with sin and rebellion in the hearts of people. God's refusal to condone or come to terms with sin, his just judgment upon it. God is holy, God is just, God is also loving. We see God's love in his wrath, and often we miss that piece Because he hates sin. Because of his nature, he simply cannot condone it. However, he also hates the damage that sin does to you, to me, and to his creation. So he looks around and he sees the damage that sin is doing and has done, and he hates it. That's his love for what he's created, including you and I. You know, there's different ways that God's wrath is expressed in Scripture. We have the eternal wrath. That's book of Revelation, chapter 20, speaks of the lake of fire. Um, eschatological wrath, how's that for a word? Wrath associated with the the return of Jesus. Oftentimes in the book of Revelation, we talk about the seal, the trumpets, the bowl, the judgments of God. So there's those images in scripture. Um, There's also cataclysmic wrath, I'll call it that, the flood, where God breaks onto the scene of human history and there's this wrath poured out. I mean, the flood is an example of that, the ten plagues in Egypt, where God's wrath is being shown um, in history in a certain time and place. Today's wrath is more what I'm going to call abandonment wrath. In fact, the title of my sermon today is When God Steps Aside. It's almost a picture of allowing us to suffer the consequences of our choices. So today, in this passage, it's not so much God punishing mankind, although there are But it's more about the consequences associated with our decisions as we turn our back on God, as mankind does. It's not that idolatry and immorality are God's wrath, it's that the results, they simply are God's wrath. As people turn away from God and worship idols and replace God with other things, and as their lives descend into immorality, that is God's wrath simply being lived out by people romans 1 in verse 24 26 and 28 and we'll see this a little bit later but there's that that phrase god gave them over god gave them over god gave them over it's repeated three times there in those verses as man progresses downwards in kind of a spiral there this idea This is not new to the New Testament. If you go into the book of Proverbs, chapter 1, it's speaking of wisdom there. And there's this call of wisdom to accept wisdom and take on wisdom. And it says, the beginning of wisdom, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And when you turn your back on wisdom and truth, this is what it says in Proverbs 1, verses 24 to 31. It says, since you refuse to listen when I call, and no one pays attention when I stretch out my hand... Since you disregard all my advice and do not accept my rebuke, I in turn will laugh when disaster strikes you. I will mock when calamity overtakes you, when calamity overtakes you like a storm, when disaster sweeps over you like a whirlwind, when distress and trouble overwhelm you. Then they will call to me, but I will not answer. They will look for me, but will not find me. Since they hated knowledge, there's the key. They chose to turn their back, and they hated knowledge and wisdom that was there all along, and they did not choose to fear the Lord. Since they would not accept my advice and spurn my rebuke, they will eat the fruit of their ways and be filled with the fruit of their schemes. That's Romans 1. It's abandonment of truth and the results and the consequences in people's lives. The good news is, the good news in all this is God has clearly revealed himself. In fact, let's read verses 19 and 20. The wrath of God is being revealed, but it says, Since that what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. Creation, it's there. It's clear. People are without excuse. God's revelation is sufficient. God, and we're going to see in this passage, God has revealed himself to everybody, regardless of who you are. We call it general revelation. Creation, conscience. Everyone has those things available to them, clearly accessible. But what do you do with it? That's really the question. Jeff Galt, Read Psalm 19: "The heavens shout, right? Declare. There's speech that goes forth day and night, constant. It's available to all. It goes out to the ends of the earth, all the way out, as far away from civilization as you want to get. Creation is there. Creation's referred to as God's first missionary. And I think that's a good term. It was there from the get-go when God created this world. He was shouting to us, "I'm here." I exist, follow me. So creation, our middle school students, our high school students, our college students, I asked a while back for them to respond to a simple question and that is, how do you see God in creation? And so Joe put together this PowerPoint presentation of their responses. Thank you for putting that together, Joe, that is great. God has clearly revealed himself in creation. We see that in verse 19 and 20. It's plain to them. It's clearly seen. Men are without excuse. Conclusions can and should be drawn about God's existence and his nature. The two things that are pointed out in this passage, his eternal power and divine nature. He's eternal. He has this power. Just stand, stand on the seashore. You can look at Mount Hood. I mean, the power is there. But this divine nature, there's a God out there. All these things are seen. God is the cause of all things. Whoever thinks in terms of cause and effects thinks in the direction of God. He is the cause. Voltaire, the philosopher, the French philosopher, that obviously didn't have a, a real understanding of God, but he did make this statement, this quote. He says, I cannot believe this clock exists without a clockmaker. And he was speaking of the world. The clock and the way it functions and the design and the patterns. Everything is so intricate intricate and so well designed. How could there not be a clockmaker? He was had no idea how to even explain that one away. The testimony of creation is available to everyone. It holds people accountable. Men are without excuse, it says here in this passage. However, creation is limited is it not it can lead you only so far we need the word of God to come alongside creation and teach us about how to come in to relationship with God through his son Jesus Christ but it gets you going that direction God supplies it he calls out to us and it gets us going that direction so we have God's creation around us our own bodies just look at look at ourselves we're part of God's creation but God also put inside our hearts, our conscience, a testimony to himself. In verse, verse 19 here, it's in some of your translations, it's evident in them. The New American Standard, King James, it's translated, it's evident inside them. It's speaking of our conscience. There's this moral radar that God has given to us. In Romans 2, 14 and 15, Paul, we're going to look at that next week, but Paul says to the Jews, he says, the Gentiles have the law of God written on their hearts. They already know instinctively, their conscience already tells them what's right and wrong. Everyone has one of these, conscience. However, there are strategies that people use to kind of get around the conscience, right? For example, one way to do it is misinform the conscience, this, the idea here is you unteach things that are normal and insert a new morality, okay? So what was normal and true over here, we'll just retweak it and make this the new normal, kind of dodging around the conscience. You see that happening in our culture a little bit? Yes? Okay. The other way that people do this is simply silencing the conscience. You know, guilt is... they. You'll hear things like, you know, guilt is a bad thing. Don't let people guilt you. You know, um, do what you want to do. Self-esteem is the most important thing, right? And so this idea of this conscience is bad, that feeling right and wrong is, is a fabricated thing. Do your own thing. Make sure that you're happy, and that's the direction you want to go. So there's ways that people shut out the conscience. Um, we see that happening in our society. It isn't that God hasn't been speaking. It's that we, as man, have not been listening very well. That's really what's been going on. And we see in verses 21 through 23 that human sin is deliberate. Let's read verses 21 to 23. Although they knew God. First phrase, how? Creation, conscience, it's there. They knew God, okay? They neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. What does God want us to do with his revelation? He wants us to glorify him. He wants us to give thanks to him. Those are the two responses that God desires in our heart. Okay, but look what it says. They refused to do that. Their thinking became futile. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. (laughs) That's a great verse, it's powerful. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images, made to look like a mortal human being, birds and animals, and reptiles. God responded, man chose. It's a deliberate ignorance. It's a deliberate turning away from the truth, suppressing the truth. In verse 18, they didn't glorify him as God. The glory went to creation instead. I came across this, and if you want to shoot this up there, Joe, from a gentleman named Benjamin Warfield. He was a theologian, a teacher at Princeton University, and it's called The Glass Window. I just want to read this to you to see how we look at creation mankind does and we miss it. A glass window stands before us. We raise our eyes, we see the glass, we notice quality, we observe its defects, we speculate on its composition, or we look straight through it on the great prospect of land and sea and sky beyond. So there are two ways of looking at the world. We may see the world, absorb ourselves in the wonders of nature. That is the scientific way. Or we may look right through the world and see God behind it. That is the religious way. The scientific way of looking at the world is not wrong. In fact, it's a wonderful way to observe God's creation. It's not wrong any more than the glass manufacturer's way of looking at the window. This way of looking at things has its very important uses. Nevertheless, the window was placed there not to be looked at but to be looked through. The world has failed of its purpose unless it is looked through and the eyes rest not on it but on its God. It would be as silly as me walking over to one of these windows over here on the side and admiring the glass and the window panes and they are nice but missing really the purpose for windows which is to look through and to see what's going on outside and to see God's beauty all around us. And that's what's going on In the hearts of men, they refuse to give thanks. It says, "Many of you, if you go up Highway 26 like you're going up to Mount Hood, and before you get to the top there by Government Camp, on the right side there's a little parking area, and you'll see cars parked along there. It's the trailhead to Mirror Lake. How many, if any of you, hiked to Mirror Lake? There was a period of time where Patty's father." Was here in the Portland area, him and some friends of his and myself. I can't remember, there was a group of us. We would take the afternoons off and just head up to Mount Hood and hike into Mount Mirror Lake and do some fishing, hike around the lake, just enjoy the incredible beauty right there at the base of Mount Hood. It's called Mirror Lake because you can see the mountain right in the, the lake. It's just incredible. And I remember one time we were coming back down from Mirror Lake, and it was starting to get dark, and there was a gentleman there, a friend of Patty's dad and myself, his name was Ralph, um, and he just said, we're walking, and we're huffing and puffing a little bit, and he said, you know, let's just stop, and let's stop and just praise God right now, because what we've seen is amazing. We just enjoyed this incredible creation of God, and we had a little prayer meeting, Right there on the trail. Now, people were coming down the trail and kind of passing by us. And like, what's going on over there? But I really felt like what a beautiful way to express what we had seen. Because God's creation is meant for that. It's meant for us to see him and to worship and to give thanks to him for it. And it was simply a prayer meeting, a thanksgiving service that just kind of broke out there on the trail to Mirror Lake. That's what it's all about. Verse 21 continues on. Their futile thinking, their hearts were darkened. It started to affect the way they thought. This development of godless worldviews, things like atheism, who needs God anyway? Naturalism, this is all we got, right? Hedonism, this is all we got, so let's have a good time. Because when it's over, it's over, type thing. Hedonism, right? Some of these worldly philosophies that just show darkened hearts, professing to be wise they became fools psalm 14 1 speaks to this and it says the fool says in his heart there is no god that's in quotes they are corrupt their deeds are vile there is no one who does good it starts with taking god out of the picture and that's what they've done and then it says they've exchanged the glory of immortal god for images they've taken god and his glory And they've taken that and said, eh. And they've inserted anything other than him. Idols, images to glorify, to give thanks to, to worship. There's this exchange that's gone on. Glory for shame, truth for lies, God for idols. Creator for the creatures and creation. So God reveals himself, man rejects that revelation, creation, conscience. It's there, God's speaking. Their thoughts turn futile and dark. They turn to idolatry. So they say, in a sense, God, you're dead. We're going to replace you by inserting anything in there other than him. So what happens? Well, starting in verse 24, we see human sin is progressive, Okay? Starting in verse 24, let's just read that, therefore, because of their rejection, this is what happens, and I want you to notice, you know, we talk about, people in science talk about evolution of man, okay, this is the devolution, the devolving of man, it's a, it's a downward spiral, it's, man's not getting better here, this is definitely a devolution Therefore, God gave them over, there's that first time the phrase is used, in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. They worship and serve created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Step one. Okay, so we have sexual impurity is step one. God gives them over. They just kind of follow these sinful desires of their own heart. And God says, okay, there you go. It doesn't stop there, though. It continues to go, because of this, God gave them over. There it is again. To shameful lusts, even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committing shameful acts with other men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their errors. Shameful lusts, changing out natural sexual desires for something that is not. Okay, that's a sad picture. But it doesn't stop there, okay? Look what it says, verse 28. Furthermore, okay, building upon that and continuing to spiral downwards, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, God gave them over. There's the third time that phrase is used, to a depraved mind, so they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, okay? So it's just, now it's just open, and it's anything and everything. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossip, slander, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death. Now, why would they know that? Conscience. They would know. There's been way, it's been revealed. The word of God, there would be... They know these things. They not only continue to do these things, but they approve of those who practice them. You know, it's interesting, this is the consequence when you turn your back on God, this this kind of downward spiral that we see in these verses. When you, idolatry, the step from idolatry to immorality is a short step, (laughs) okay? You take God out of the picture, you say God is dead, okay? You reject creation and the creator, then you take away conscience. Conscience, there's no fear of punishment before you commit the sin and there's no remorse after it. That's really what conscience helps us do is a sense of, hey, this isn't right before I commit, and then after the fact, that guilt that says, that wasn't right, I need to do something about that. All that's removed, and this is what you see in people's lives. There's a quote, and this is the last PowerPoint, uh, C.S. Lewis. Uh, This comes from his work called The Problem of Pain. It's a quote, and there's a phrase in here I think is so powerful. He says, the lost enjoy the horrible freedom that's it horrible freedom they have demanded and therefore are self enslaved that term horrible freedom that they have because they've chosen this route they've demanded it in fact they've turned their back on God and everything that he's provided for them so we see again this devolution A a quick word on homosexuality, okay? I know that's a tough topic in our environment today. I was watching this um, video the other day. uh, A gentleman was teaching on the book of Romans, and he said, in Christian community, in our churches, we tend to do one of two things with that topic. He says, we tend to either emphasize it too much, or we emphasize it too little. I thought, that's interesting. And then he went on to explain what he meant emphasize it too much I think in Christian communities sometimes we take homosexuality and we put it up here as like it's the worst okay Um, you know and then all these other sins are kind of down here but you know we put it up there as like this is the worst thing right and we make it to be that there's a great book by Jerry Bridges if you know him he's a great author it's called Respectable Sins And it talks about how, as Christians, sometimes we categorize sins and we have our list of ones that we put on the really bad list, okay? And then we kind of, in our own lives, well, you know, pride, judgmentalism that speak to our heart, our sin, and we're going to look at that in Romans 2 next week, by the way. There are sins but they're respectable. So we don't really deal with them so much, but man, we're harsh on these other ones. We're big on these other ones, right? So there's this idea that maybe sometimes we put homosexuality as one of those sins that's up here really bad, and we spend all our time railing against it, okay? On the other side, and to be fair, is to minimize it. And oh, it's no big deal, or to totally rewrite what God's word says about homosexuality. And I think in our culture today, of tolerance this is happening you know there's different ways of approaching the word of God there's exegesis where you let the word of God speak exegesis is reading out drawing out meaning from the text then there's eisegesis where you read into the text you kind of and sometimes it's done intentionally sometimes unintentionally for example when I read scripture I'm reading it from a 21st century western mind So I'm going to read into things, sometimes things that maybe aren't there, just because I'm reading into it from where I am. Or maybe I read into it from my own personal opinions, how I was raised, etc., etc. It's easy to do that, sometimes unintentionally. But there's that next step uh, called metagesis. How's that for a big word? That simply means it's an intentional, deliberate, changing the meaning of the text. Jehovah's Witness, we talked about that in Sunday school, I mean, talk about rewriting the Word of God. They kind of did that. Thomas Jefferson. If he didn't like a passage, he literally would just cut it out of his Bible. Passages that had to do with the deity of Jesus and miracles. He didn't care for either of those. So he'd just chop out whole sections of Scripture. And it literally no, became known as the Jefferson Bible. And I think in our culture, homosexuality is kind of, you know, there's a lot of argument they try to argue from scripture that it's okay. Well, we can't do that because it's pretty clear here in Romans 20, and these are the words that are used in this chapter. Shameful lust, unnatural relations, shameful acts, deserving of death along with all the other sins. Homosexuality is not viewed as a condition, but as a, an act that can become a lifestyle, and it's contrary to the word of God. It's contrary to what God has revealed himself to be, and so we need to balance it out by the way um, verse 29 every kind of wickedness you know that list was pretty comprehensive there of sins and I think it's easy like I said to harp on one and miss all of those things are opposed to the nature of God there's three truths about God's wrath that I want to just kind of end with this is my conclusion God's wrath is just and just turn over, and we're going to be in Romans 2 next week, but look at verses 4 to 8 of Romans 2. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not reali- ri- realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? That's a question. But because of your stubbornness, your unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed there's going to be another revelation by the way we'll talk about that next week but God will repay every person according to what they have done to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory honor and immortality eternal life but those who are self-seeking reject the truth follow evil there will be wrath and anger so God's wrath is always just because he's just but I also want you to see in verse 4 his kindness, his mercy, his forbearance. God warns with his wrath. He woos with his kindness. He speaks both languages. He speaks severity in wrath, but he speaks kindness in his mercy and his grace. God's wrath is to be feared. Hebrews 10.31 says it's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Don't take God lightly today. Don't take God lightly. It's to be, he is to be feared. And it's a dreadful thing to fall in the hands of a living God on your own. But here's the good news. God's wrath is satisfied in Jesus Christ. Romans 5, 8 through 9. God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Then verse 9. Since now we have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? The answer is Jesus Christ. Now, I don't want to leave you in a dark place. This chapter is pretty dark, <laughs> and it's hard. It's like, whoa, that's pretty, uh, pretty difficult to hear. But chapter one of Romans, really, I think it's important to point out, that it doesn't have to end there. And That's really the hope going back to the God, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. That's the truth of the gospel. It reaches into the life of anyone at any level, at any point, no matter how dark it looks. And I want to end with a look at Luke 15, the prodigal son. Because I want to look at one son this week, and we're going to look at the other son next week. This week, it's the youngest, the younger, the prodigal, we refer to him. Luke 15. He knows the father, he's at home with the father, things are going well. Then he decides that he needs his inheritance. Give me my inheritance, give me my share of the estate, he says. And what he's really saying there is, Dad, I wish you were dead so that I could have the money that's coming from you wow it's pretty harsh so the father allows it to happen steps aside and says okay here it is here's your inheritance the son goes his own way the father lets him go son if you want to go it's stepping aside there it is there's the door gonna miss you but there you go the son suffered the consequences of his decision it went from bad to worse right There was the party with his friends, then the money runs out, then it gets worse, then he's feeding pigs, right? The son comes to his senses, he returns with a repentant heart. There's a lot there, this story is much more than I'm giving it. And then the response of the father, the father graciously accepts him. In fact, the father runs to his son when he sees him, which is huge. He runs, he celebrates. There's another party, by the way. This party is a celebration of the son's return. It's a good kind of celebration. This is the first son in the story that fits this chapter. Paul's talking about the Gentiles. He's talking about the pagans. He's talking about people that were just kind of out there and anti-God. Next week, he's going to turn his attention to the Jews and go, okay, now it's your turn. We're going to talk about you a little bit. And it's going to be a little different story over there. But they're both the same. They've both turned their back on God in different ways. One looks a little worse than the other. But they've both kind of turned their back on God. And so he's going to address them next week in chapter 2. God has clearly revealed himself. Creation, conscience, the word of God. He revealed himself in his son. His final word. Logos, the word of God. If we respond, he responds. If we reject, he steps aside. That's the message from today. You know, I talked about how should we respond to God, and always by glorifying him, by giving him thanks, by giving him worship. I just want to end the service today with a song, so I'm going to have the musicians come up. Let's respond to God's revelation in our lives today with worship and thanksgiving in song.